Welcome to We Are Chafee Looking Upstream, a conversational podcast of humanness based in Chafee County, Colorado. I'm Adam Williams. Today I'm talking with Lenny and Amy Eckstein, the married couple and entrepreneurial energy behind the craft distillery, Deerhammer. They tell about their East Coast origin story, how they met and made their way west, and why they left behind successful careers in other realms to buy a building on Main Street in a rural mountain town and start a distillery. More specifically, Amy tells how her shift from a career in nursing to running a whiskey business actually wasn't as out of left field as I thought it might be. And Lenny talks about the passion that led him from graphic design to distilling as an outlet for self-expression. We talk about risk tolerance and leadership and successfully shaping a company culture in a time and place where hiring and retaining employees year-round can be extremely challenging. I ask them about community too and about why Amy entered local politics a few years ago, but then stepped away sooner than expected. Along the way, Amy also shares some fantastic stories about growing up with a dad and a family that hustled to make big business ideas happen. And Lenny introduces me to the sport of squirt boating, a form of whitewater kayaking that I had no idea existed. And though we do talk about kayaking in this Looking Upstream conversation, I think it's worth the reminder at this point that what the name Looking Upstream refers to is less about the beautiful Arkansas River that drew Amy and Lenny, and a lot of us, to this piece of Colorado. It's far more about what are known as upstream health factors. Those factors are all the things that go into making a community healthy, vibrant, and connected, and they present some really big challenges when priorities and policies get out of whack, like with housing affordability, for example. I recommend that you listen to the Looking Upstream trailer on any podcast player to hear more about upstream health factors and what this podcast is all about, and go to wearechafee.org to learn more. Okay, so here we go. My conversation with Amy and Lenny Eckstein. Well, welcome to Looking Upstream. Uh, thanks for being here, Amy and Lenny. Yeah, we're stoked thanks to be for having here. us. Yeah. So, I want to talk about something in your history. Let's start with I believe you both came from the East Coast. And you are, by the way, the co owners of Deer Hammer, which is a craft distillery in Buena Vista, right? Correct. Okay, so let's go back to this East Coast thing because I'm curious. Did you know each other there? Did you meet in Colorado? What brought you to where we are in Colorado? What's that sort of origin story of your relationship and life together? Well, on my side of it, yeah, I grew up uh, just outside of Philadelphia and lived in the city for four years. And uh, I made my way to Colorado. And um, God, I, I suppose it was... I think three or four years into living throughout the state in various areas. Uh, this was when the internet was doing its thing and then the whole like bubble burst kind of tech thing happened. And, you know, um, Amy and she could speak more to this. Uh, she, she, I met Amy in Boston. Uh, I was kind of on the hunt for a job after a year of being uh, kind of doing the ski bum thing in Summit County. And I started getting offers out in the Boston area and took a diversion out that way. So that was a kind of roundabout way of how I was able to even cross Amy's path. Yeah, and I was, um, so I'm from the Boston area. I grew up uh, in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 20 minutes outside Boston. Uh, I grew up in an entrepreneur family, and I uh, picked up kayaking, just whitewater 
um, in early 2000s, I think 2000-ish. And then we, I was in nursing school in uh, Boston area in Medford. And I had met Lenny. We met kayaking, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's and something that, like, I don't know, maybe... That's, that's fo- how we met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, folks in the Ark Valley might be aware of this, but, uh, you know, I think whitewater cat kayaking is kind of a weird thing for a lot of people, even if they are familiar with it. And one of the... So, you know, there's only so much boating or, or you know, river running that can be done in the winter. And uh, for those that are a little too deep into kayaking, and Amy and I were at the time, uh, swimming pools become a spot where you end up uh, <laughs> you know, finding your way in the winter, just flopping around in the boat, whether you're working on tricks or not. And yeah, as uh, it would have it, I, uh, there were only so many pools and I ended up being in the same pool as Amy at one point. Like just kind of, yeah, yeah, I guess uh, North Shore. Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how we met. And then we were buddies for a while, camping a lot. And then I finished nursing school. And we moved out to Colorado, and we moved out here together. Yeah, well, two thousand five. That's very true. I felt like I had an interesting path in that. As soon as I got to Boston, I kind of knew something wasn't right. I was like, "What out of Colorado?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, Boston is a great place. I got nothing bad to say about it." But I just knew it wasn't my thing. There was a reason why I felt the need to leave Philadelphia, and while it was very cool to explore Boston, um, and I'm glad I I did. Um, I knew I was leaving, and when Amy was finishing nursing school, I was like, you know, I'm going back to Colorado, and it'd be awesome if you'd come with, and it worked out, so. Yeah, and I was excited to just check out the West, you know, I'd spent so much time, um, started guiding in Alaska, you know, is where I started, and then spent a lot of time in Maine, love Maine so much, that's where I did a lot of my whitewater boating and camp counseling, and um, just that whole Boston area, learning to become a healthcare professional, really. So, but I was ex- stoked to come out and check out the West. Um, we'd camped so much together and boated so much together, and I really loved Denver. Man, I got out here and um, I got a fantastic job as a nurse. Um, just really taught me how to be a nurse. It was like my first job out of nursing school was uh, Pres St. Luke's, Presbyterian St. Luke's, 10A. It was like a surgical step-down unit, and and I learned so much and. And then that's when my nursing career started, and um, yeah, and that went on for like eight years until we opened the Deer Hammer in like 2012. We moved here to Chafee County, and honestly, kayaking is and is really what brought us here too. And we wanted to open a business in a small town, so that's really where BB checked all the the boxes. Okay, and that's a great segue because I want to talk about Deer Hammer. I know that you both had these career histories prior to running and uh, all the operations that go along with a craft distillery. Lenny, you had, I think it was around 15 years or so in graphic design in some form or another in a career in that path. Amy, obviously, you've talked about the nursing. So I do wonder, what brought you to this place where you decided you're going to come to BV and you started um, this business that was completely unlike what you had had a career in, had experience in. How did that come to be? And, and I, I know that this is part of a story that you share quite a bit in other venues. So I don't want to bore you with you having to answer this question, but if you want to find a medium nutshell version to share with people, mm-hmm. let us know. How did you end up deciding, wow, we're going to take a totally different path in life? Um, yeah, I, I don't know that there's an abridged version of it and the long version is pretty long, but there's a few, <laughs> there's a few like aspects that I reflect on sometimes that I, you know, 
might like to share, I suppose. And I think that um, while Amy and I both journeyed towards this at the same time, in a lot of ways, there are two very different journeys. Um, you know, I, I know that mine was one of, um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, whiskey's cool, and a lot of people uh, might fall into it for that reason, and that's great. I think whatever drives someone towards doing something great and realizing the potential of it is a very good thing. Um, for me, it wasn't that it was cool as much as it was like a medium of sorts that wasn't, um, well, it, it was a more compelling medium, a more uh, something that had passion behind it. Um, you know, I, I, I felt that it was an outlet for expression, whereas I had exhausted that potential outlet for expression on the like kind of design, commercial art, creativity side. That was growing dull. Um, and by no means was I like at the top of my game in, you know, commercial advertising, marketing. But I was far enough along that I, I think I was looking for a challenge of sorts. Like, where do I start at the bottom and work my way up? And I was actually, you know, like I didn't just fall into whiskey. What I kind of fell into in a long stretch of time was, uh, you know, just th this fascination with making things that I really enjoyed and expressing myself through things I enjoyed. And at the time, uh, you know, in the early 2000s in Colorado and, you know, throughout the Front Range, craft beer was blowing up and homebrew was blowing up and and Boulder at the time was kind of the epicenter for that and, and you know, surrounding all things, uh, you know, Great American Beer Fest and these homebrew shops popping up, that became a creative distraction for me and even though it's this, you know, it's flavors and it's liquid and it's not necessarily something that you could frame and put on the wall, uh, that occupied a lot of my time and you know, I guess like hitting the fast forward button a little bit, it just kept progressing. And the, this passion for fermentation and creation and uh, even, you know, I compare this a lot to uh, visual art. Um, you know, the idea of creating something for the enjoyment of others where I didn't have to really be at the forefront of someone's enjoyment. I could just kind of hang out in the background and shove it forward and let good times happen, whether the good time is an appreciation or in the case of whiskey, like actually enjoying flavors and laughing with friends. And uh, so that was, <laughs> it's hard, again, it's hard to encapsulate the journey of that, but that was kind of the impetus for it. Okay. Um, and I, I felt like I kind of, in some ways, tugged Amy along in a sense, but you, know, you could better tell your path in parallel. Yeah, I think if we talk about like the the partnership, like the partnership is the basis of Deerhammer. You know, I grew up in a family business and all my family just talked about business all the time. You know, it was like all of us worked in the business and my dad would run all these different businesses. Um, and so it felt really natural when Lenny and I started dating, you know, it was always like camping and kayaking and we're going to do this. And then once we started to talk about business together and, and we talked about a brew pub for a while, mm. um, and then Lenny's like, you know, whiskey. And that was so early. I was like, whiskey? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, because it hadn't really existed yet. And then, but for me, my pull was just like, I could see like supporting Lenny's vision. Because like, I just have such huge respect for like, you as a creator, you as a visionary, you just know what experience works and what doesn't. And then for me as the business um, 
it was like, how do we make it happen? Like, how does this work? What is the execution on this look like? How how does this grow? Um, and also just trying to make your his vision work um, is kind of I think where like the basis of the partnership was. Um, it was enough to draw you away from nursing. You know, it seems like such a, a left turn. Um, sort of wasn't. Yeah, okay, it's, not at first. Yeah, it's like I think just what I. Um, I think I just always wanted to own my own business in okay. some way, shape, or form. Um, so I think it's like leadership is a lot. Decision making is really what is needed as a business owner is those two two things and grit, which um, that's probably one of the best compliments I've ever received is, you know, I'm the grit of Deerhammer, you know, and just in terms of making that go for so long. Um, but yeah, I think it is a left turn, but it's, um, for me, I just always um, saw myself in that role like as eventually owning a business. Yeah, okay. But, like to rewind a little bit, I think like there was, there were some funny like generational components like, you know, when we decided you know, we're all in, we're going to do this. Well, we weren't that all in. Like I I remember pretty clearly looking at it and thinking, I mean, I think it's going to work, but if it doesn't, you know, there's got there's, there's something else. It's worth taking a shot at this point. And when we moved to the Valley, you know, to Buena Vista specifically, um, if I recall right, like, it, the the actual, like, pulling, you know, making it happen, aside from telling people we were doing it, didn't happen until, you know, you took a job at the hospital here as mm. a nurse. And that was your career in parallel to me. You know, we secured the space and we're, like, cutting holes in the floor for floor drains and converting old tanks to our purpose tanks and... You know, there was a lot of, like, we needed, like, a little nudge, and that happened. And I think, like, you taking that job led us to renting a house, led us, which was funny because that was, like, you know, I think at one time I counted, but it was, like, 142 mm. steps from the house to the <laughs> distillery. And I thought that was so awesome. Like, I was like, what a cool thing. I don't have to commute to work anymore, you know. Um, yeah, that was, it was tough in the beginning because I was working, like, nights as a nurse and then weekends, like, in the bartending. tasting room. That was tough. Yeah. That was tough. But I think once I, you know, once you, and I, it really is a lot to do with my dad. Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. He was really like, gave us, gave me the courage, you know, because when you first start, it's, it's daunting. But I think having that to fall back on was really, he was just so encouraging at every step. You know, once we bought that building on East Main Street, that was, that was like, we were all in whether we knew it or not. Um, yeah, yeah. So we bought that in like 2011 and then. It was pink. It took about a year to make it not pink. And then... Uh, it used to be... Uh, curves. I think that yeah. still exists, but it was like this gym, mm -hmm. Curves, that was like a women's only gym. Yeah, yeah. We walked so, in there like... Uh, this the carpet. And yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It was... We walked in once and we were meeting a fire inspector and I didn't, you know... <laughs> I, was, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I guess I'll bring him some donuts. And I, uh, I just walked in this gym with a box of donuts and he was like, oh, no, I'm all good. And... All these people in the gym are like, what is going on here? And these people are like <laughs> trying to take over the building. They're bringing donuts in here. <laughs> and then it's funny stuff. I, I'm curious about some of that history that you've already brought up there, Amy. Um, also, because I'm really fascinated by risk and how some people really embrace it and they leap into these things and they they want to test themselves or they want to see what can happen. And like Lenny, you said, well, if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of things. And then there are other people who have such aversion to it, couldn't imagine ever doing what you did and what you are still doing. So let's go back to that history, though, of where it sounds like that comes from, at least for you, Amy, is what was that 
family environment? What were these businesses that your dad was was hustling around? And, and it just sounds like he was really entrepreneurial and willing to take risks. Oh, yeah. He is the definitely the most risk tolerant person I know probably in a lot of ways, you know, so what probably my oldest memory, I was maybe four or five. Um, so my dad worked at the produce market um, in downtown Boston. He worked for um, a mushroom purveyor. So he sold mushrooms and then he, um, he would have side hustle, right? He had two kids at the time, myself and my older brother. And so on St. Patrick's Day, like Mother's Day and Easter, he would buy flowers from the produce market, the flower market. They were all the same in downtown, deep in Boston. And then he would just rent a moving truck and just pull off on the side of a road and just start selling flowers. So, <laughs> um, and then, so like he would, like around Thanksgiving, he would get all these carnations and dye them green, you know, if you put them in a bucket of like green dye. So like our garage in the suburb of Massachusetts was just like full of car green carnations and the smell of like this garage with the carnation, it just, if I smell carnations, it like brings me back. But as a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many awesome flowers in our garage. So we like, we're in like my, my mom's station wagon, my parents' station wagon, you know, with the rear facing seat, no seat belts, you know, the wood paneling. And like, I remember my mom is like trying to like somewhere deep in Boston, get to my dad on this weird corner with the moving truck. And she like pulls over and we like turn and she like turn and I watch her walking up to my dad who has this Penske truck or something. And she's like waddling over because she's pregnant with like, you know, my, my brother. And my dad just like empties his pockets with all the money he had made that day and just like <laughs> gives it to my mom to go grocery shopping, you know. And so he always had a number of hustles like that. And then he started a business that turned into this USDA kitchen that provided home meal replacements for um, large grocery stores and gas stations in New England. And that was kind of, he had many businesses along the way, many that didn't work out so well. I mean, he went big. Like he, he would like start construction on these huge buildings on like a handshake with the bank and stuff. And it was like, it felt hard because it felt like growing up, we were either in a good position or like, uh-oh, we might lose the house, like just tons of risks. So I, and so when I saw him do that, just take those huge risks, that had a huge impression on me. Uh, I don't think I am as risk tolerant, even though that's what I grew up with. In fact, I think that's kind of why I like our company the size that it is now. I'm not going to go huge. I'm not looking for investors. You know, maybe that will change at one point, but kind of like the size it is. It's just a manageable size, and that feels more comfortable to me. But I think a lot of times with you, I feel like you've become more, Lenny, you are more tolerant of risk, I think, than I am now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think for the worst, it is risk. <laughs> you know, it's such a funny thing. Like, it's like we're talking pessimism about. versus optimism well, in a certain even, way. Yeah, well, that's a good balance point, I suppose. But, like, you know, when when you speak about not wanting to grow anymore it's a funny thing because so many companies have the ability to uh sell more or or make more or scale like that's a thing and we're we're so hands-on and we're actually making something but so we're manufacturing we like technically we manufacture one barrel of whiskey a day and we could build a bigger facility but it's fun now and i like the scale that we're at but also that stuff i mean you know it, it sits around for four plus years so we don't really have the ability to turn on a dime. So we're not, we're not really changing anytime soon. And my risk tolerance, again, like I don't see it as risk. Sometimes I'm like, Aim, I think we should make more whiskey. You know, I'm like, it tastes great. Let's just make more. People will buy it. It's, uh, 
you know, maybe yeah. it's I maybe I simplify everything, and the the middle ground is probably where uh, you know a, a beverage alcohol brand needs to be. So yeah. I don't know. Having Lenny, is that because you you guys have come to this place of? Um, I mean, I don't know your books. I'm going to say it sure looks like you're thriving and you're successful to me. And compared to, if you just look back at, well, where we started, this is where we've grown to. And this is how we have, um, you know, continued to improve and continue to size up just a little bit within our means, things like that. Are you more comfortable with those ideas now because you feel like you have some stability? Would you have been that way 10 years ago? That's what I'm Mm -hmm. getting at. Um, you know, I think Amy and I could answer these questions differently. Mine's, mine's kind of a weird answer. And, and so oh, 10 years ago, uh, maybe it was a little more, but when we, we uh, formed Deer Hammer officially in 2010 and started making whiskey at the very end of 2011, you know, there might not have been a lot of confidence, but, you know, I sampled one of our very first bottlings of whiskey the other day and I... I'm not mad at it. I thought it was pretty tasty. Like, I, I feel like we've been doing a pretty good job in getting better along the way. But also, like, we're not some emerging technology, like, trying to create a system to, like, these new, like, kind of sort of flying car drones that are trying to transport people from rural to Denver or something. People have been making whiskey for a really long time. And there's sort of no secrets, but we entered into this at a cool time where... Uh, you know, creative expression and doing something new and different is very re- well received. And I'm also, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with folks in the industry who are like guns blazing all in. So for where we're at, I feel like we are taking a pretty chill approach now. You know, 12 years in uh, to met, I don't know, it, it's weird to try to measure success, but um, I mean, I think things are going, pr- I feel like things are going pretty well in terms of the brand and the company and culture we've built. So I guess that's where my sort of tolerance comes from and willingness. Did you have that in your background at all from your family, like Amy had in hers? Did you see people taking risks or in in whatever form that might have taken, if it wasn't business, were people willing to go out in the world and say, hey, I'm going to do this thing and I'm willing to fall flat and come home and deal with you know, the laughter or the whatever, if they didn't think I succeeded. And which of course, back to the word you just said about success too, is, is about your own intentions and your own definitions, of course. But did you have that in your background to be an entrepreneur or a risk taker in life? I didn't, I didn't have it in the way Amy did. I mean, I think my parents were much more uh, conservative or traditional in that sense. And, and, you know, kind of came from like a very, standard class suburban middle class family uh pretty much like grew up in the same house there wasn't a whole lot of moving around or or uh changes drastic life changes no you know nothing like that um i i think like something that i don't think my parents didn't really have much to do with this but i i found that i this is gonna sound weird i i sucked pretty bad at a lot of things when i was younger <laughs> maybe everyone does but i i took it kind of personally and maybe, you know, I was, I was a pretty small kid and, you know, when I came to soccer, I, you know, like playing sports as a little kid, I was terrible at it. I'm like, I couldn't run around the field. I, a little kid with asthma hanging out in the corner, like barely doing anything while everybody else is like running around or, you know, um, whatever it was. I always, I felt like I had something to prove and maybe that was a weird kid thing, 
But as I got older, it, it's not that I have something to prove. It's like I, I want to prove something to myself. And I think risk, you know, comes in a lot of, it can be defined a lot of ways and comes in a lot of places. But I've always enjoyed it, um, you know, whether in any form, whether it's like, you know, we were talking about kayaking earlier and pushing that to a level of always being just outside of comfort or, you know, embracing sucking at something to the point where getting better feels so good. There's so much reward there. Um, I think like, I don't really think of it as risk as much as like, I'm in, I'm doing it and I can't wait to get, you know, I, I don't know what the top is. Cause like, there's this notion of like the best, I mean, that, that's a weird thing to define, but you know, yeah. just getting higher up, being in a place of like accomplishment, that's always been such a reward. Progress, learning, yeah. the, the practice of it all, you know, and, and learning. I think I'm still learning to accept and see that life is a process. Yeah. Like the, whether it's sports that we engage in or it's creative things, whatever it is. And having to teach, uh, you know, my kids and, and you have a son of a similar age, trying to teach that just because you weren't good the first time you tried, you know what? No one is. Um yeah, I, I can really appreciate at this point, I think, as, as it unfolds for me, just jumping in there and realizing, okay, today I'm better than I was yesterday. Next year I'm – and allowing that vision to kind of be be okay and be the way forward. Right. Yeah, and, can, and I, I find continually doing that, whether it's with new endeavors or rethinking what we're doing, you know, in terms of our whiskey making at Deerhammer, it, that, that's always the driver really, like just – Okay. Pushing up. Let's go back to when you did start with um, the whole thing, with buying the building, with the changes to curves as a, yeah. as a gym and having to get rid of the, the pink and, and turn it into this amazing space that it is now. What was, what was the scene then on Main Street in this small town uh, as you came in at a time that uh, I imagine was part of change, but so much change has still come since and so much growth. What were you seeing for your vision, but what were you physically seeing? What was on the street? I, I wasn't here then. Um, yeah, so when we, we opened up, we were really apprehensive. You weren't sure if anyone was going to show up. You know, we've been in this space for eight months. People are curious what we were doing. Um, and so we had our opening weekend. I remember we went to Costco and got like a drum of those big Utz pretzels okay. and some mustard. And then Lenny, you worked so hard for like four months and had 12 bottles of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> so a pretty inefficient process at first. That was, that and we was were making sure. cocktails on like our, um, you know, like we had a bar from our house, like a TV stand. That was our bar. <laughs> okay. And so we opened and um, we were packed. And everyone came in and everyone came out to support us and to meet us. And we were just so welcome. And it was uh, it was pretty awesome. You know, it was a winter that we were open, so we got to really know the community. Um, and then the summer was busy, and we've just kind of grown organically from there. So I'd say uh, very community-based in the winter for sure uh, we, to start with. Yeah, we, gonna... that was – I mean, like, what's observationally there? And we sold out the pretzels, like, immediately they were gone. The <laughs> um, Not yeah, enough. I mean, what was in BV, if almost to walk down the street, wasn't necessarily all that 
you know, impressive or compelling to someone who's starting a new business and just moved to town. We didn't, I mean, I don't feel like we didn't pick BV blindly in a lot of ways. Like we knew I had been, you know, spending, you know, as many weekends as possible when I was younger to come up to BV to kayak and camp. And I, I always loved the Valley. And then when Amy moved to Colorado and I was moving back to Colorado, we were spending so much time there. And we were kind of, we knew this valley was kind of a place we wanted to be, but there was something at the time as, you know, sparse as the downtown might have been. Uh, we were noticing like this warmth from, be it like just people in town or other business. And we did have a little bit of a cheat code because people were like, oh, you guys are the ones opening a distillery. And all of a sudden we, you know, there, there was this pathway to meet people, which was nice. But I think like the warmth and, welcoming nature of the town and the like you know a lot of times like mountain towns have this like locals only attitude and we were used to that you know we lived in Summit County for a while and it didn't have that at all so that was a big draw for us and then there's this other side of like you know while our expectations were fairly low like we didn't have to you know crush in terms of like what our distillery tasting room was that was really only one facet of the business. And a lot of folks would come up to us and say like, you know, and like this could be years later after we opened Like, I never really thought that it would work. Like when we saw the <laughs> sign you hung in the window that you're opening the distillery, we just thought it's not going to work in, in BV. And we were, you know, we always kind of took that. We're like, yeah, haha, it did. Cool. But the reality was, was it kind of didn't have to. And we, we knew that at the time, like just prior, we were living on the front range and we could have opened a, uh, you know, a facility that makes whiskey that where we made whiskey anywhere. So we just thought, let's be where we want to be, not, you know, where we're going to have people coming in to buy our bottles over the bar or enjoy a cocktail. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, in a way, didn't matter, but it was also, it worked out really well and it's been awesome. It kind of factors into the risk thing, maybe in a way that you come out to a rural place where, uh, there still wasn't the growth and the presence of the restaurants, for example, that are here now mm -hmm. and all the tourism that comes here now, you know, that's continued to scale up. It wasn't a given that you would succeed in terms of having a business survive, let alone thrive. And if you were in some place like Denver, then I suppose there's competition and where it's easier to, to set it up might also be more competitive and difficult. So I look at when I drive down Main Street in BV, I, I see Deerhammer as this sort of keystone place. It's it's one of the anchors in town that, you know, I appreciate seeing there. Does it feel that way to you? And what you have experienced in the change over the last decade plus, do you feel like the change in the evolution of the town, the community, and your business? Well, how are you feeling about that? What are you seeing? And and, um, and then also maybe the next 10 years, what's the vision and, and idea that you might hold for, for where you want this to go, whether that's your business and also your business as part of the community? Hmm. Um, that's a lot of great questions right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I stack them up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so evolution of our business in the town. Um, I know, I don't know if this gets too exact to your, the heart of the question is like, we just grew very organically. Um, for us, it was kind of, you know, we didn't come in and open just some huge thing. We we started on old used dairy equipment and made that work and then slowly grew. Um, so that's kind of how we've grown, I'd say, is very organically. And then from the town, um, 
you know, so much has changed. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable when we, to think about how much change has happened since we've been there. Um, but I think from Main Street standpoint is, sometimes I think not a lot has changed, honestly. Like if you look at the actual structures that are there, like that has, has looked very similar. South Main has developed, but East Main, um, uh, East Main, I feel like, hasn't been like a world under change or not. Looking forward, I think that is the real change on East Main Street is going to be in the next 10 years. That's that's going to be, I think, what's going to make the last eight years um, look pretty mild. There's a lot of development going on East Main Street in okay. Buena Vista now. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I love where we're at. We, we have our 18 employees um, kind of keep growing I think in that aspect, just like um, making our company better. But I feel like we're going to probably look the same in five or ten years from like a drive-by uh, tasting room standpoint. Maybe, except we keep changing it every year. A, I feel like we keep bolting on new things. to the. Uh, I know, good thing we got the lot eventually. Yeah, originally. Yeah. That was kind of like the big, there's been a couple big moves I think that we made. Well, that's an interesting point too, because like you know, speaking more to the past, but ultimately to the future. I think we were we were really lucky in a lot of ways, and for sure, like making things you know not sink and succeed takes luck in some ways. And to stumble into town when we did, and you know, real estate being the price it was was very fortunate for us. And I think, like, I guess in a sense, speaking to the future, I know Amy, myself, and even like some of our employees, it was. This span of years, like the first five years, we were all like kind of popping our heads up like meerkats and looking back and forth. And we we're like, what is going on here? Like, why don't more people realize how amazing this place is? It's only like two hours from the bigger cities in the state. And it's such an easy drive. And there's two highways to get here. And the river's amazing. And the trails are amazing. And like, and there's hot springs and all these things. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, we started seeing people realize it. And I think to me, that's the change, but it's also, I think one of the coolest things about our town is that it still maintains the same vibe and the same tone. And um, I've never quite had an experience of living in such a small town, exactly that, like living in a small town, but also living in a small town and, and on the early, in the early days, um, in terms of change, it was change to me to see just someone who might work at you know, the, the local coffee shop who I'd see every morning and they're like, oh, I'm going to move over here. We're getting married or I'm going to school or, and a person leaving the community felt like such a like tear out of the fabric. Um, but on the flip side, you know, fast forward and now new, you know, pieces are interweaving into the fabric. And I think, uh, some of the things that I find challenging, like I don't bartend anymore, so I don't know as many people in the community. I feel like that bums me out, but I'm also not very good at bartending, so I think that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and coupled with that, so many people are in town and work from home or work remotely, and I, uh, it's interesting that I'll meet someone and they'll say, "Well, I've lived here for years," and I'm like, "Wow, I've never seen you. That's crazy." Um, that so touches on my own household because we work from home, and so there is that remote thing. Plus, we moved in during the pandemic, and so there were those sorts of dynamics where we didn't get to engage in the community in the way that we might have otherwise. And it is interesting that part of that growth, how many people are working remotely and they're sort of siloed off a little bit. There's not yeah. the same sort of interaction, but it's also that remote work is also what makes it possible for people to come here 
live here, afford to live here, that's a challenge. Uh, you know, which actually brings me to you mentioned Amy the eighteen employees, and Lenny, you had previously mentioned the culture of what you've created as a company, and I think that you've managed to retain that staff and to keep or cultivate a culture there, and that is a challenge for some other small businesses in town where even filling a spot that you've been advertising maybe for months and you can't get somebody to do it. And it's because we have this conundrum of housing affordability, uh, which is described as a crisis in this part and wages. And, you know, it's this, this conflict of economics. How have you managed to retain the staff that you have and create culture around it? Um, I think, so our culture, what we, people do well at our, our, our business are hard working, positivity, passionate. Those three things, they really, that's what we value. Um, and so I think Lenny works, I think us being very involved, um, Lenny probably more so than I in like the craft and the day to day makes people feel like they're supported, our staff. Uh, we, have, we have great managers. That makes a big difference. Um, we try and pay as much as we can. Um, we are at the really at the upper level as much as we can. We try and pay our employees, of course. That's a given um, in this economy. But you also got to give people purpose. And I think people feel connected. I hope our employees feel connected in what we're doing and what we're trying to, the experience we're trying to provide for people um, and pride of what we're doing. Um, what so do you I, feel like the purpose is that you kind of foster there? I think in the tasting room is really high quality experience. You know, a place. This is this is a place where the community can come together, um, share a drink. These these are where relationships happen. This is in the summer. People come and have a great experience rafting, and then they come in and um, enjoy that time with their family or their friends, and just creating meaningful, high quality experience. Anticipate with anticipate what they want. Um, and I think the whiskey is really just like full flavored, bold. I think our cocktails really say a lot about who we are. Um, so I think that's kind of the culture of what or the value we bring to the table. And then on a bigger scale, the brand. Um, yeah, but I think they tie together. Like that's, you know, in terms of, yeah, I, I said earlier, like we are, I, I think of ourselves as manufacturing, even though I like to, you know, slam a lot more creativity on top of that than just making widgets. I think that like the experience and all of it comes back to like, um, you know, th- there's a lot of jobs to be had, and a lot of them, especially in a valley that's so heavy on tourism, have a lot to do with offering up a great experience. But when it comes back to, like, uh, it's not just, like, kind of a one and done. Like, somebody came in, I had fun, I'm out of here. It's more like getting behind a brand and helping to build the brand. And, you know, we have been really lucky with, like, attracting some great folks. Um, but we think of it as... You know, I, I mean, anything can be a career, but we think of it very much as a career because we can't do it on our own. So when we've had folks who approach us and express interest and see what we're doing and want to be a part of it, like we've always seen nothing more valuable. And to be able to give them a facet of the company to work on and help us develop it together, you know, that's always been, I think, helpful for them, but massively helpful for us. And then you know, sometimes in some places, nudging them towards like, hey, you know, like now's probably the right time to buy a house. Like, don't wait, that window's shutting. Yeah. And we've seen that happen. Or um, even some employees, we've had a number of employees that have spun off and started their own businesses that, you know, we've kind of like helped, 
don't say helped, but done everything we can to like nurture them towards doing their own thing. Um, but I think another big thing, I and mean, you could probably speak to this as well, is like, um, what are we if we just kind of, um, you know, like pop in and take advantage of busy summers, but then scale down and pair off in the winter? I mean, that that's a very viable model. And oh, I could see why a lot of businesses would do that. But, you know, we couldn't maintain a great crew if we only sh- were there for them for like four to six months a year. So while the winters haven't been historically the most viable time to do business, it was always very important for us to still maintain that in the winter. And, you know, it's kind of chicken and egg because we keep doing it. We're hoping that it'll become more of a thing. Um, But we we want to, and we feel like we have to. We owe it to the community and to our employees. So that's another part. Winters are tough. And I think what – I'm glad you brought that up, Lenny, about – creating year meaningful year-round jobs um, easier said than done when you have when you make almost all your money in the summer but how can we create things so we can retain those people so we have them back year after year after year um, I think also too I care a lot about our employees um, you know I'm sure things may hear differently in the community you know if you're trying to be the you know sometimes you do have to be the boss but for the most part I genuinely care a lot about our employees and making sure they're taken care of. It's, it is a responsibility of the employer to take care of your employees. Um, you know, and I know we usually say that through payroll, but you know, I really care about my employees and um, maybe that leads to it as well. Amy, you used the word leadership earlier when we were talking about you in nursing and that being one of the strengths that you can take from your nursing experience and what you brought into the business. And leadership has always been, uh, at least in my adult life, my career, oriented life, something that's really important and and have thought about, well, what does leadership really mean? Because a lot of times we place that at whoever has the biggest, heaviest title. But I would say that a lot of those people, that's about power, not truly leadership. So I'm curious about how you consider leadership because it fits in with the things you're already describing. Mm-hmm. What do you specifically or both of you, uh, Lenny, if you have thoughts on this, what does it mean to be leaders in a business and in a community like this? Um, I think um, leadership, there's a couple different ways. I think there's like the craft, you know, the whiskey where leadership is great in that because that's what directs the flavors, the concept, and a lot of the experience. But leadership in turn is a lot of decision making. You know, they kind of go hand in hand. But when you say it's like, I own this, this is this is what I am going to put my all into, and I will take responsibility for every single thing that goes on in this entity, um, and taking responsibility, you know, I think is a lot of leadership as well, um, making the decisions, helping people understand why those are the decisions. Um, sometimes they're difficult, um, but knowing when to stick to it as well, um, with follow through. I think those are all the things with leadership, but I think it's almost like decision-making is kind of the, probably the, is my style of leadership or how I inspire by my leadership is just like making decisions um, and helping forge a path forward is what I bring to the table. I feel like the human elements that you were describing before as well, to me that fits in that definition where you care about the people. Versus they are there to serve you guys. Lenny, you were talking about we've nurtured people to start their own businesses. We we actually care about their well-being, their stability throughout the whole year, 
and whatever opportunities they're looking to cultivate in their lives. And, and so I, I hear that kind of leadership with you guys as well, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I yeah, I definitely uh, you know Amy's rundown of it is kind of how I would have described her role in it as well. Mine's kind of a weird one. I think I think I'm like the a reluctant leader in a lot in the standard definition. I don't I don't like being at the front. Um, I don't mind making decisions, but I I don't know. I and while I'll have them gladly sit on my shoulders, I just I don't know. There's something about being in the forefront that never feels comfortable. But I think my expression of leadership in our company is more of like, uh, and I'm sure this annoys people sometimes, but it's never good enough. Like, <laughs> always be better. Like, it, like you know, it's very like annoying. stay it's up very later, effective. keep working harder. You know, like, you um, the like oh, I don't know, like becoming undeniable. I guess is like almost a guiding principle, and whether you attain that or not, like always looking to that for like. Should I keep working? Could this be better? Should, you know, like that—that's always yeah. been my angle on uh, for our company and just what I enjoy doing. Yeah, it's never good enough. Is like, <laughs> is really like the driving thing. It's like, will it make the whiskey better? That's been from like day one. I mean, it applies to everything. Or I kind of apply it to everything in like, as much as I can. But I've always liked to compare that. I do a lot of comparisons while while I don't engage in visual art anymore uh for the most part unless it's commercially oriented i always think it's an interesting thing like uh, metaphorically if one is a painter you know when do they when's their last brushstroke and when does something go on the wall and even when it does i mean if i was in those shoes i so many i would imagine so many things that are hung on the wall the person hanging it wants to be like oh it's not quite ready yet though and they're their you know harshest critic yeah um it's certainly the same way with uh, what what we do when, in theory, it always gets better with age or manipulation, in terms of whiskey in a barrel and and the you know um, bring together different streams from barrel to barrel to make a final product, it's so hard to let it go. But uh, that's a fun part of it too. I think it was Da Vinci who said that art is never finished, only abandoned. And, right. And then we also could use the cliche that um, perfection is the enemy of good. You know, there, there's got to be some sort of action. I think a bias toward action to say, yes, we want the quality to be amazing. And at some point we have to call the end to this and then yeah. continue the work maybe in another barrel in this case. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty healthy or I found it pretty healthy, I should say, to kind of exist in both places where you're always striving for like, it can be better. I want to make it better. But then also there's this thing I find, especially, I mean, not exclusive to Colorado, but people want the best powder to ski on or the best rapids to kayak down or the best mountain bike trails. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but like the best, that's such a, like, I find it starts to take this angle of like, well, wasn't it good enough? Like, why do we have to keep going for the best? So to find the balance between always wanting better, but being like, well, let's call it, you know, that that's. Yeah. And enjoy it. Enjoy yeah, yeah. that success Celebrate of it. it. And yeah, yeah. It's hard to like even look at how far we've come, right? You were saying it's like, would you ever thought? And it's sometimes hard, I think, to just be like, oh my God, look what we made. It, mm. it worked. It worked. Yeah. And yeah. to just be able to celebrate that is very, uh, I, I want to be able to do that more because it really is what drives me to go forward, you know. It's it's funny that how you mentioned, Lenny, we want the powder. We want all yeah. these things. And 
And I think, oh, well, today's not a power day. I guess I'll go yeah. skiing or snowboarding. As if living li <laughs> that life in the mountains, you know, you sometimes have to step back a second and say, wait a second, look at what we really have here and where we've come to. And another day is going to be a powder day. I know. I feel like I'm getting a little too old to say it, but like the, the notion of like when something's so-so and I get out there, I am enjoying it. And when somebody's like, ah, but it's okay today, I'm like, but I'm so stoked. You know, like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little too old for so stoked, but I hope to always be that no matter what the circumstance. Oh, that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we all should hope for that. Yeah, yeah. So community is a big part of this. Um, and, and obviously that word and that idea has been sprinkled throughout this conversation. Um, I think it is important to you all, not only for those of, of who are your employees and for the longevity of the business, but community has played a role for you guys since the beginning. Amy, you also then had a role very officially in city politics uh, on the board of trustees, I guess is what, what BV, how Correct. it refers to its city council. And I, I'm curious to know if you don't mind sharing some of that role, what lured you into that in terms of how to serve in community and then as a voter and resident there, I also was aware when you walked away from it before term was up and um, I appreciated your voice being involved. And so I selfishly am going to ask, I guess, to understand a little bit about what, what led to walking away. Yeah, thank you for asking for about that. So in 2018, 2019, um, I started to become real involved um, with listening to hearing what's going on with the community at the town level, board of trustees. Um, I was involved in, you know, a couple committees here and there, and I just love the work, you know. It's really, running the town is very similar to a business in a lot of ways, just the structure of it. Um, and it was so important, you know, we had a look at this beautiful community. And, you know, we moved in 2012, 2013. It was 20 houses a year. It's pretty you know, some tourism, and then you fast forward like eight years, and it's just massive change, 70 houses a year, two million tourists a year, and it just created like a lot of pressure, and a lot of things were happening that were like, whoa, there's, are we, in, are we going in the right direction here? Like, do we need a little course correction? And so I listened in for a couple of years and really studied as best I could, and then of course, you know, 20, 2019 rolled around. I was like, wow, everything's going kind of chill with the business. I got my managers in it. Um, it was kind of working, you know, and I felt like I wasn't as needed in my role. Um, so I threw my hat in the ring in about February of 2020 to say like, yeah, I'd like to step up and run for trustee. Um, I, a lot of the reasons I ran were, you know, affordable housing, short-term rental reform, um, economic vitality, you know, all those sorts of things, and just making great decisions, you know, listening to people. Um, so I was elected. It was it was uncontested, win by forfeit. Other folks dropped out, and I was seated in April of 2020. So oh, that's a rough time. You know, and it was like everything was like so dialed in like February with my business, and by the time I was seated, it was I was homeschooling my son. Our business was shut down, which was supposed to be two weeks, but this was now going on weeks. Um, and we had a, you know, just a pandemic, and I was seated as first-time elected official. And um, I served for 15 months, and it was incredibly difficult. Um, and then I walked away, and then I resigned. Um, I think, you know, the, the difficult thing to talk about is, like, well, why did I leave, which I feel like I do owe to the 
the voters. Um, and I was treated very unfairly. And that isn't even my words. That's someone who saw all of it said, like, I don't, you weren't treated fairly. But I think really it was just so frustrating in addition to everything else going on was, it's going to sound real harsh, but there was a lot of people that just didn't give a shit. Excuse my language. But that was, that was the hardest because I was there to do same ownership I would have for a company where I'm like, I will take responsibility for what needs to be done, the difficult decisions. It was difficult to hear some of my colleagues just be like, no, it's just not, you know, I'm not, I don't get, I don't get paid or it doesn't matter or this or that. That, that was hard. Um, but it was really, I think, you know, not to go too dark, but I think when my son was like, why does being a trustee make you sad? Mm. That was, that was the change. And so I made that decision, um, you know, and since then I've really been reconciling it because I quit, you know, it's like, I'm not a quitter, but I quit. And it's kind of, and I think for the town, I know they hear this, anyone listening from BV, um, you know, something right after that, like a lot changed. And I feel like it just somehow, maybe it wasn't just from my experience, but maybe it was just the time was here, but there's so much change and I have so much hope for the new people. There's so many people that kind of everything just moved around a lot more people, different people took on different roles. I feel a lot of hope and I feel like a lot of the decisions that I, a lot of the problems that I were, was calling out, raising the alarm about, hey guys, this is an issue, you know, be quiet. You know, those are now being addressed and I, I feel hope. So that's kind of like, year and a half later, I'm, that's kind of how I've reconciled it. So that's the story. I feel like there's a lot more we could talk about there, but uh, for better or worse, or maybe you're, you're happy to be saved by the bell here, we're going to be running out of time. I do appreciate your involvement there and the, the participation of both of you in the community. And again, I described Deerhammer as an anchor and a keystone and this important piece that is on, on Main Street. And so you're you're very involved in community still, obviously. And I think sometimes being that voice that brings change and kind of rattles things a bit does get to be very uncomfortable. And we're the ones who end up being pushed aside. And then we see the change come after us. So uh, your involvement there um, still clearly was, was important and meaningful. So thank you. I'm going to wrap with this one question. We've talked about kayaking. That... Of course, for anybody who is from this area or has been here knows that that is a really big piece of this. We have the Arkansas River running right by us. What is your connection to kayaking now? You've got all this big stuff going on, busy life. Uh, you've now added a son to the family in the years since you've been here. Do you still get out on the water? I mean... Definitely not as much as the early days of everything. Uh, and that and like, you know, I, I, I used to think mountain biking was boring. I never knew why everybody spent their summer on the bike when they could be in the river. You know, <laughs> I mix some of that in. Uh, I like to ride motorcycles a lot now. But um, I've kind of held true personally. Like, you know, we bought our first raft last year. I think that mm -hmm. was a, an interesting step for us. But one of my favorite uh, super obscure facets of kayaking is... Uh, <laughs> it's called squirt boating, and it's uh, I, I won't bore everyone with exactly what it is. You can look it up on the internet, but be careful as you're searching for squirt boating. Um, <laughs> it's it's the uh, 
kind of the predecessor to freestyle kayaking. And it, there's some really great spots, particularly just downstream of Salida. Uh, there's a spot we call Rincon that uh, it, it involves uh, very low volume kayaks that you purposefully uh, and delicately edge into a current, a converging current, and it allows you to sink into the water um, anywhere from like just below the surface of the water to 10 feet deep and mm. spin around. And uh, I don't know, I've really enjoyed that a lot more, uh, you know, as I've uh, gotten older, it's uh, more low key than running class okay. four or five rapids. So so there still is that love there, still is some connection, even though, of course, life has, has changed. Amy, with the, uh, the final grains of our hourglass here, do you have any last thoughts on that? Any comments you wanted to add about where you and the water stand, you and kayaking? Um, or yeah. anything else? Um, yeah, I think the river just is a huge source of um, revitalization for me. And it really just, uh, I love getting out in the summer. So, yeah, not as hardcore as I used to be, but it's still important. Is it something you guys are passing on to your son? Yeah. Yeah, 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 we're trying. You know, he's the, the river's an interesting thing, and I think, like, the more you know about it, the more respect you have for it. So while uh, we've had him down the river plenty of times, we're kind of waiting for him to come into his own and not push too hard. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. worked on whitewater swimming last last summer. That's pretty fun, getting him into that. So, yeah, of course. Thank you both for coming in here and talking about all of this and, and sharing some pieces of your story. Um, it's It's great to to get a chance to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, fun conversation. Thank you. All right, that was my conversation with Lenny and Amy Eckstein. If what they shared here today sparked curiosity and ideas for you, you can learn more in this episode's show notes at wearechafee.org. You also can email comments to Lisa Martin, one of our producers at lmartin at chafeecounty.org. I'm your host, Adam Williams. John Prey is engineer and producer. Thank you to KHEN Radio, where we recorded today's conversation in Salida, Colorado. To Heather Gorby for graphic and web design. To Lisa Martin, producer and community advocacy coordinator for the We Are Chafee Storytelling Initiative. To Andrea Carlstrom, director of Chafee County Public Health and Environment. And to Becky Gray, director of the Chafee Housing Authority. The We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast is a collaboration with the Chafee County Department of Public Health and the Chafee Housing Authority, supported by the Colorado Public Health and Environment Office of Health Disparities. You can learn more about the Looking Upstream podcast and related storytelling initiatives at wearechafee.org and on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Chafee. Thank you for listening. And until next time, as we say here at We Are Chafee, be human, share stories, 